That is Beard, the Gay Dad Podcast with Alex Megan and Young Daniel. Hello and welcome to another episode of Daddy Squared Around the World. I'm Jan. I'm Alex. How was your week, Alex? I don't know. We don't, I, we don't have weeks anymore. How was your week? Oh, thank you for asking. <laughs> that was so nice of you. You never ask me. See, you're doing that thing where I do the thing that you like and then you tell me how I didn't do it. <laughs> It's very Jewish. Very Jewish. Um, we're a married couple. We have five-year-old kids, almost six, actually. I love how he's reading it off of a piece of paper. I'm not. I'm just looking at the paper. Our children. <laughs> <laughs> and I wanted to talk to you about kids that say things that we don't want them to say in public. <laughs> It's kind of embarrassing. Uh, we've been experienced that one of our kids that is genetically related to one of us, I'm not going to say who, but he talks a lot. This is rude. Go um, on. He is having like these things that he says to us that is so embarrassing in public that I kind of don't know what to do with myself. And I'll give you examples. Okay. I think I once said it on one of the episodes, previous episode, that uh, we went through uh, an airport and he was hungry and he started screaming that we're starving him <laughs> and people were, kind of looked at us. It's like, I'm like, okay, it's just because I didn't buy you a chocolate doesn't mean that I'm starving you. Mm. I mean, he look, he also at a party once said, I don't want to be a girl because I don't want to have to cut my penis off. Yes. That will be painful. <laughs> From what I understand, it would probably be pretty painful. Although there's anesthesia, but that's really not the point. Yeah. This week I took him to school and he, he was in a great mood. Mm-hmm. Uh, he goes to a pod and he came in and everybody like noticed his new socks that had print of his face on it <laughs> and he was like giggling and he was like yeah <laughs> and then he he calls me said abba can you come here for a second and it's all like laughing and giggling and then he whispers to me don't tell anybody i think i'm drunk he must have gotten into our manischewitz <laughs> uh, look i all of the examples that you just gave this is the difference between you and me and i'm sure that this is true with so many parents nothing that you just listed is anything other than delightful to me i have really? no problem with other parents hearing it look if one of our kids loudly said Daddy, is that the woman who has a drinking problem? Okay, then that would be embarrassing. But, but I don't think that our kids... Look, if they say, you never give me any food, right? And you look at them and they do not look like children who are starving. Come on. Like, this is... People understand that this is how this stuff works. I don't want to draw negative attention from people in the public. I feel that as a gay man, yes. I already kind of draw attention... And people are kind of judging me all the time, maybe because I, I'm judging too. Yes, I think. Matter. I actually think that this is exactly the type of thing that establishes us as normal. This is the point. We want, you know, other parents are going to say, oh my God, that's the thing that my son just said last week. Not the drunk thing, because one of our kids is really weird and says weird things but generally speaking like this is what makes us normal i feel that they know uh much more gay oriented stuff well i mean all right so any five-year-old will say i think i'm drunk that's a gay thing well it's not normal sadly they would say i think i'm on meth 
unfortunately. I don't know. But look, uh, no, I'll give you a much better example is that my children will argue over exactly how many hundreds of years old Cher is because we've we've That's told allowed. our children that she's the oldest object in the universe. <laughs> we love Cher. Daddy Squared. Daddy Squared around the world. Each episode, we visit a different country. Today, we're visiting South Africa. Yeah. We have a South African friend. He I, speaks funny. They, they, I love their acts. I like the Africa. It's really cool. Our guests are Andrew Ross and Brent Lindek. They are South African gay power couple. <laughs> Andrew is a former musical actor, and Brent is a journalist, also known as the Good Things Guy, goodthingsguy.com. He is also on the top 100 most influential people in South Africa. Oh, Did you wow. Know that? And he also have gorgeous teeth. I defy you to go to his Instagram right now and look at oh, his teeth. God. It's like phenomenon. It, people with perfect teeth make me so angry. I know, it's upsetting. Yeah. They participated in South African reality cooking show. They have two kids. They're going to tell us more about that. But before that, Alex, here's yes. some facts about oh, South good. Africa. All right. It was founded in 1961. Right. That. Really? Yes. I was really surprised that no. it's such a young country. Well, you have to remember that uh, so much of Africa was colonized by Europe. And so as the end of World War II came and things started to uh, unravel in terms of these colonies and empires, countries got their independence. Okay. Um, population is 59.9 million and currency is South African rand, okay. and one rand is seven cents. That's got to be a big wad in your wallet in order to go to the store. Uh, the national food is uh, baboti. Uh, what is it? Uh, it's uh, chopped meat in simmered with spices, especially curry. Oh, that sounds nice. Okay. And, and dried fruit. Not okay. nice. I like dried fruit. You do? Yes. Oh, that's surprising. <laughs> Three things you didn't know came from South Africa. Are you ready for this? Uh -huh. The heart transplant. Really? In 1967. Year of my birth, by the way. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, you know these skin products that you see everywhere here in America? Olay? Yeah, sure. They're South African brand. Wow. And brick made out of urine. It's I call it the PP brick. <laughs> It's a brick made out of urine. I hope that there are other ingredients because otherwise it's just going to be... I, I knew you were going to ask that. Yeah. So I've, I've prepared actually <laughs> the recipe. Oh, good. All right. Go ahead. Go ahead. What, what, do, you, what do you have to do? Okay. What do you, how do you preheat the oven, first of all? To what temperature? No, hold on. Right. So first of all, it was invented in Cape Town. Okay. Uh, in 2018. Okay. Brick made out of urine that would serve as an alternative to the concrete and to the concrete. concrete yeah. Sorry, to the concrete and clay brick. Each brick requires. <laughs> Come on. Come on. Uh, I mean, we're going to do this. We're going to do it. How much pee does it require? Come on. <laughs> it's 30 liter of urine. For one brick? For men. It's 30 liter of men urine that's how it says i, I have so many questions this is so complicated look if you drink a lot of water and you pee you get a lot less of the chemical per you know liter of pee pee so i have many questions all right go on okay i know you want to try it at home i really want to make a brick now there is an actual 
God, you're out of control. Because I've seen the video. There's a video. Oh, there's a video. No, you don't see the person peeing. You see the pee right. ready. I understand. Okay. We're going to post the video, I assume? <laughs> yes. Okay. All right. On daddysqr.com slash South Africa. Okay. Um, I think we're ready, okay? All right. Are you done? Well, do, I have you need so to many more questions <laughs> about the bricks. <laughs> okay. Okay, go on a pee break. I, I'm going to start the interview. We're okay. going to take off to South Africa. Here we go. We're going to South Africa. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, hello Andrew. Brent. Hey, hey, I'm here. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you for coming on our show. Your story is very interesting, so I'm so excited to dive in. Thank you for having us. I've never done a global podcast, so this is what an honor. Thank you for having us. <laughs> We're basically something between like CNN and BBC. <laughs> it just has uh, different acronyms. Yeah. yeah, BBC means something different in our totally, world, but totally. we won't go into that now. <laughs> We're going to we don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> Uh, Andrew, I want to start with your story because you didn't, you weren't born in South Africa. You weren't born in Australia. So what made you want to come to South Africa and live there? So I was actually, um, I was dragged kicking and screaming to, <laughs> to South Africa by my parents. Um, actually born in England, not Australia. But uh, oh. yeah, I was uh, in, the, in the very early days, in the sort of early to late 80s, South Africa had a skills shortage. So they were... Uh, uh, providing financial incentives to bring uh, skilled uh, talent workforces to South Africa. My dad was one of those. So I came here when I was very young. I think I was nine or ten when I moved here, and I grew up. Uh, I grew up in a in a multilingual uh, environment. My my school was fifty uh, percent Afrikaans, which is a, a, a one of our native one of our eleven native uh, languages here. And uh, uh, I had to sort of learn on the fly. I was being ed- educated in a, in a weird language twice a week. So it was literally, you know, uh, survival of the fittest and uh, really a phenomenal uh, way to really get to understand uh, other countries' diversity by nothing else than by sheer force. You had no choice. You had to fit in. It was fantastic. <laughs> and you married a woman and you had kids with her. <laughs> Okay, I'm just putting it all out there, you know, it's just... Uh, well, we were- also, the other thing is we're so unaccustomed to the concept of men marrying, marrying women, we don't even really know what to do with it. <laughs> yeah, them. we're in West Hollywood, we don't do that here. I did, I married a real woman, she had ovaries and everything, it was official. Um, yeah, no, so, so uh, I mean, this, this is probably interesting anyway, I often get asked this, but uh, so to tick the first box, yes, I always knew I was different. Um, I, I sort of figured out at an early age that I didn't really, my sexuality didn't define me. So through high school, I was, I was dating boys and uh, uh, I, I actually left uh, school and started studying and became a semi-professional musical theater actor. And I actually toured the original touring production of Rocky Horror in this country. So oh, I danced oh, wow. with stockings and heels, eight shows a week, uh, <laughs> while singing five-part harmony. The clues were there, guys. The clues were there. Fishnets are a dead giveaway. Well. They just are. <laughs> I still have great calves and high heels. Um, and, and I think one of the things you need to understand, or not understand, but I'll try and explain, is that, is that South Africa is, is a relatively isolated uh, community at a societal level. Uh, and um, we... Uh, I, I personally felt that in the early 90s that it was a very conservative uh, community. And for some reason, and I, I mean, I've obviously analyzed this, but 
But looking back, um, I pretty much went into business having finished acting, and I'd, I'd subconsciously decided that there was no place for a gay man in corporate world. So I literally met, fell in love with, married, uh, white picket fence, two dogs, one of the first girls I met. And I have zero regrets about that, I have to be very clear. Um, uh, she's a wonderful uh, mother to our two children. And uh, we lived very happily for seven or eight years. But it was obviously very clear that uh, it wasn't something destined to be for the long term. So yeah, I, uh, I was married to a lovely woman called Alison. She is one of our closest friends as a family unit. She's, uh, she's, she's been an instrumental part of how our children have grown up with two gay dads. And I, uh, she's played a significant role in how our family unit has been able to function, uh, not just normally, but to actually excel in the way that as a family unit, we've given our kids the best they can get. Yeah. Is, is she mom? Yes. She is. Absolutely. And, and has been since day one. And no one has ever tried to remove that from her. She right. is their mother. Uh, she is absolutely, for both of our children, the maternal side of the relationship. They look to her for, uh, although I don't know, Brent might have to get involved here because we have a debate over who the cool parents are. But uh, no, <laughs> seriously, she, she has really become uh, uh, a defining feature of how the family unit functions. Uh, Brent, I want you to fill us up about your experience growing up uh, gay in South Africa. Yeah, I grew up in, in South Africa, in Johannesburg, South Africa. Um, I grew up in an area that, that is uh, known as the south of Johannesburg, which is pretty rough. It's, it's a pretty rough, rough area to grow up in. But I, um, you know, I, I sort of came out when I finished high school and when I was moving into university. And, and I had a really, really good upbringing and a really, a really fluid Uh, coming out experience. I never had, um, there were no horror stories. There were no tragedies. I was very lucky with my support system. Uh, my family all welcomed me with open arms and I was just, just really thankful. It was, it was, you know, a, a really good, uh, good upbringing. Is it considered uh, typical in South Africa or is, is it unusual? I'm 36 now. So I, I came out Uh, what is it, 28, no, 18 years ago, 18 years ago. And um, at the time, I think a lot of my, or I don't even think, a lot of my friends, a lot of, a lot of my people that I love uh, battled with coming out. They had a hard time. They, their parents didn't accept them. They, there may have been really tragic stories behind their coming out experiences. But for me, and with the beautiful family that I have, Everybody was accepting and loving, and uh, no one ever skipped a beat. How much visibility there is for the LGBT community, and specifically for gay men in South Africa? So now, in 2021, there, there is loads. And in the last decade, there's been um, fantastic characters on TV, television programs. Uh, over Pride Month, which is October in South Africa, we even have a gay channel that opens up on our um, sort of satellite dish cable network. Um, we have gay radio that's available that you can listen to every day. So now it's, it's very prevalent and, it, you know, it's, it's normal. American Idol, our version of American Idol, one of our, one of our head judges is, uh, called Idol, one of our judges is a gay, quite feminine 
gay African man. Uh-huh. Um, so I think that gives you an idea of how mainstream it has become. Uh, Brent and I were on a actually on a, a, a an international television to the cooking format show here in South Africa, and we had a kiss during one of the cooking moments, and that was sort of one of the first primetime gay kisses. <laughs> All right. Uh, but, I, but I think it's important to note that we can't whitewash South Africa with with this rush as well. We we there are, there are absolutely um, uh, to your point, you know, our rural areas are very rural. Um, you know, we we have massive levels of poverty in this country. So it would be it would be remiss to look at our experience as the norm. Um, mm. Our experience is one side of the coin, where at a at a at a, a level of society, it's accepted and understood. There's a large part of South African society which is inherently driven by its Africanness. I'm going to use the word tribal, right. and I mean that very deliberately. Uh, Africa and South Africa is still split into. Uh, regional tribal loyalties, etc. And in those rural communities, it's a lot more difficult to be accepted. So I, I just want to be clear that we're talking about this from our perspective, but our perspective is not necessarily that of 80% of South Africa who are living below the poverty line. In the 1980s and the beginning of the 90s, there was a massive change in South Africa uh, with respect to, to race. And I guess... Is, do you still see any kind of cultural line drawn between white and black people in South Africa when it comes to the subject of gays and, and gay parenting and stuff like that? It's a very complex question, and, and I'm not sure I can give it the justice it deserves as an answer. And it's simply because we have we have various aspects of play besides race. We have culture, we have class, we have tribalism. Right, uh, and, and all of those layers are part of a discussion which is more than just race. Um, to give you an idea, uh, there's there's a there's a culture uh, in in our country in the uh, poorer areas, and again, I don't want to make this a poor or, or I don't want to make this class thing, but there's there's a culture among certain African tribal cultures uh, of, of protective rape. Uh, where uh, where they will attempt to, and it, it, it's very specific. It's around young African woman, where um, sorry, not protective, corrective rape. Apologies, where they will attempt to correct her gayness by gang raping her oh. because they believe that because they believe that will fix her. Now that goes on day after day after day. This is not an isolated incident. This is part of a cultural belief system. Right. You need to understand that as much as we have. Skype and Wi-Fi, and uh, you know we're talking to you on a on a on a on a, a home internet with with great connectivity. There are people in this country that live on less than a dollar a day, and um, are vastly dictated by their tribal beliefs. Mm. Uh, and I use that word a lot because because of the fact that our our, our country is is driven by its tribal beliefs. So. Nothing that Western society says is okay is going to de- de- determine the the change of a village elder's belief as to what 
a lesbian is, as an example. I'm using that in, in terms of creative range. So, sure. Well, that's not a bad segue to, uh, to the question of law, because while attitudes and cultures can shift dramatically from, from different groups within your country, your country has laws. And I, I am interested to have you tell us a little bit about uh, the laws governing um, uh, both sexuality and equality uh, and specifically with respect to parenting. Yeah, so um, during the apartheid era, as, as everybody know, knows, that was absolutely tragic. It was a, a really tragic time in our history. But during that era, uh, homosexuality in any form was a crime that was punishable. I think the number was up to seven years in prison, which is, is sort of what they were looking at. And that, that was prevalent and still in, written into our law until 1994. But because of the ANC and the freedom fighters and people that had really fought for democracy and for equality and for human beings to have a right to live, um, they passed a law that made, uh, that made it legal, first of all, and also brought um, same-sex marriage to, to the forefront to be legal. And that, uh, that was passed in 1994 and then written into our constitution in 1996. So, I mean, if you look at the world and the globe, South Africa was pretty much at Early. the forefront yeah. of, of human rights uh, for the LGBTQI plus community. So from 1996, they then started working out how we change other laws. So we allowed to get married uh, it's 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 okay to be uh, part of the LGBTQI community, but now what happens when we have to place um, children or other concepts into the space? And by 2002, our constitu- constitutional court uh, had given the right for same-sex couples to adopt um, in 2002, and and that was written into our law, into the Children's Act, into 2005, that took away the the label as to whether you were same-sex or not, and just said if you were in a permanent domestic life partnership, regardless of orientation, you were allowed to adopt and, and, and have your own children. So, so uh, gay men who are now looking to become dads, they, they can adopt. What about surrogacy? Surrogacy, yeah, surrogacy is legal. Adoption is legal. And, of course, uh, in Andrew's case, if you're going to get married and have kids, that's also legal too. <laughs> but I think Andrew's... Andrew's got a, a bit of insight into sort of the IVF for surrogacy as well. Please, yeah. I want to hear. I think what's interesting is that, there's, again, going back to how long ago this was sort of ratified, and they've sort of improved it over time. But right now, as an example, at a surrogacy level or an adoption level, um, there's, there is legally no difference in the application. There's no difference in the legal law or the legal standing, whether it's two dads or a mom and a dad. Um, at any level, um, we've got really we've got really highly protective surrogacy um, protocols in terms of financial remuneration and the fact that surrogates are not allowed to earn any money from the surrogacy process, whether they do or not, a different story. But it's all protected, right. and it's all it's all written straight into our high courts. So you can enter into a contractual relationship with a surrogate, but it can't be superseded by the law that's already there. But it, so it's, it's a it's yeah. a remarkably protective environment for a largely minority population right uh, and that's it's one of one of the the, 
the, the, the beautiful uh, situations that occurs from a country that sort of, you know, fights so hard for its rights so early on. Right. But um, so is it only for people who live in South Africa or is it like Canada where everybody can come over and, and just do find a surrogate there and do the whole process? No. No, because of abuse. So, so geographically understand that South Africa is surrounded by, we're on the southernmost tip of the African continent. We have uh, countries on our northern borders, and we are, uh, depending on, on the time of year, we are either the largest or the second largest economy on the African continent, normally battling it out with Nigeria up on the uh, west coast. But as a result of that, and again, I need to go back to the socioeconomic status, that we have a very large and very high percentage of either poor Uh, more impoverished people within our society, and that amplifies onto our borders. So they've tried to avoid a situation of um, uh, basically commercializing surrogacy. So you cannot come over a border and be a surrogate and use our laws. And that's predominantly to avoid abuse of the system by poor people, in inverted commas, if you'll excuse the rudimentary language. Um, uh, coming in from sort of somewhere uh, either within the country or already out of the country to make money and you know they can't get a job high unemployment levels I'll get to South Africa and be a surrogate right. so they're trying to make sure that the the integrity of the surrogacy process remains where it's supposed to be so does and, that uh, there, there are cases where this has been tested and won as well so it, it, it does work So does that mean that when somebody in South Africa wants to have a child via surrogacy, it is it sometimes more difficult for them to find a surrogate because you're not allowed to do the financial arrangement that you can do, for example, in the United States? And does that result in South Africans going to other countries to do surrogacy more than they do it internally? So, so I, I've done a bit of investigation, and I'm not an authority on it. I've spoken to three or four people that have been through this process. And, and this is the harsh reality, and if the South African government is listening, I apologize, um, the surrogates do get paid. There is, there is a remuneration process, which is almost always emotional as opposed to mandatory, but there is a transfer, there is a transaction. Whether the transaction is cash, whether right. it's benefits, whether it's medical insurance, et cetera, et cetera, but it's, it's, almost, it's almost impossible to assume that somebody would go through this altruistically you know, with, with no benefit. Right. But it, it, but it can't, it's not a perverse benefit. I think that's the point. Understood. Uh, and it's, it, and, and it's, I think it's deliberately uh, uh, regulated to, to try and avoid exploitation. I think those are the key things. Um, you know, in, in a country with high unemployment and large, large levels of poverty, it's so easy to exploit these situations and the law is there to protect that. And I think that is the key point. So, so to answer your question, it's probably, it, I, I would argue that I don't think. In fact, in, in, in the four people that I spoke to, please don't get me wrong, this is not a definitive sample. <laughs> all, four of the, all four of the surrogates were personal friends of the gay men. Mm, so yeah. so, so it's, it's not a, a, a dartboard approach or a, you know, a Google Yellow Pages approach or a, or a fertility clinic approach either. There seems to be... A, a direct level of involvement between the surrogacy and the gay parents in these relationships based on sort of, as I've said, the four or five people I've spoken to. Yeah. Brent, uh, you met Andrew when his kid was four, right? His oldest? Yes, correct. So correct. Uh, he's the youngest. The youngest, the youngest was four. How was the integration to the family came about? So first and foremost, I, I don't believe that I would 
have ever imagined meeting someone with children already. I didn't think that that was part of my life journey. But um, but when I met Andrew, uh, the first night we went on a date, I knew he was the one. Like I knew he was the guy. I felt like this was this was the guy for me. And and yes, we spoke about the fact that he had kids at um, at that first date. He was very upfront about the fact that he had kids, and I was I didn't let it perturb me because I felt like you know I like this guy. Uh, I feel like this relationship could go somewhere. Maybe kids could be a bonus. Maybe having having kids around could actually add value to my life. And for the first couple of months, um, when we got to know each other better and we were dating. I didn't meet the kids. Um, we kept that very separate, uh, I guess, and I'm assuming, and Andrew can can explain. But I guess when you're a parent, you don't want to introduce your kids to to someone, whether that's a guy or a girl or whatever relationship, until you understand and you know that that relationship is for real. Otherwise, kids would I don't know meet quite a few people. I'm not sure. Yeah. So we waited a little while, and and eventually the night that I did meet the kids. Like I wasn't ready for it. We we planned on going for dinner, and I got dressed and off we went to dinner. And he sort of took a different route to the restaurant, uh, whatever restaurant we were going to. And we landed up at the the kid's house where Andrew's ex-wife lived. And my heart was beating through my chest. I think <laughs> I was so petrified because um, I didn't quite know what they were going to react to seeing me. At, 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 it's all unknown. And did and you have the fishnets on? No, it's not him. It's Andrew. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Please continue. I, I didn't mean to interrupt your story. Please go on. <laughs> um, no, I did. I did not have fishnets on. I was, I was dressed. I was dressed in skinny jeans and a tight tee. Um, and yeah, I, I walked in and, and they embraced me and they were kind and they were welcoming oh. and hospitable and they were really just these two really cool kids. And and I think that must have been like a Tuesday or a Wednesday that we went for dinner. And that following weekend, um, they came over to Andrew's house while I was there. And we watched movies and I got to know them and we became a family. Like oh. every every day that passed and the more time we spent together, we became a family. And it's you know, it it was it was unthinkable that I would ever date anybody with kids. But I cannot imagine my life without them in my life now. What? Now, looking back, now that the kids are old, old <laughs> now that the kids are older, um, what is the most difficult year? Um, our, our kids are just really, really good kids. Ugh, you know what? With this interview sense. is over. With- <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I'll, I'll, give you, I'll give you an honest answer. Puberty. I I am giving an honest answer. So they're, they're really good kids. With that said, um, I think Maxine must have been about 15 or 16. And the school phoned us uh, to let us know that she'd been caught smoking. And that was really, really big for us because Andrew, Andrew and I don't smoke cigarettes. Um, and Andrew, I don't know if you recall when she got home from school and we were sitting around the table and it was myself, Andrew, Alison, Andrew's ex-wife, and, and her boyfriend at the time. And Maxine had to walk into this war room where there were four people that were parenting her on, Excellent. on the, you know, the, the way that cigarettes and what cigarettes can do to your body. And we all gave her different advice. There was no screaming or shouting. 
But that's the only big hiccup that I can remember. Uh, Andrew? Was she grounded? No, How did you handle that? So I think we've always tried to teach, we, I think we've always tried to treat the kids from very, very young as as part of the discussion. So I think it's very easy to, to, to discipline kids by going, well, you can't do this because I said so. And, and I don't disagree that the outcome is you're not going to do it. But I do disagree that they shouldn't understand the reasoning and the rationale and have an opinion on why. So we've always tried to bring our kids up to be contributors to the conversation. Um, and, and that's come through in the discipline side of how we brought them up as well. And I, I need to go back again and say, this, this took buy-in from Mike's wife to, to have the same principles. You, you can't do this as a split family. You can't do this with, you know, mom says this, dad says that. Right. So um, we've, we're very lucky that we, we, we agreed on a set of parenting rules that, that, uh, that gave uh, the kids a very neutral playing field. There was no ammunition they could throw at either of us in terms of, well, dad said I can do this. Um, but to answer your question, in those situations, it was just very much a discussion with the kids around, what they've done wrong, why we believe that what they were doing is wrong. Um, they were very welcome to have an opinion, and we listened to that opinion. It didn't change the outcome. There was, it was never going to change the fact they were grounded for a week for smoking. But they, were more than, but, they were, but they were more than welcome to discuss and debate why we believed that. And I think that's really given the kids a, a broader uh, skill set in terms of coping with, with, frankly, the crap that life is going to throw at them right. um, as, they, as they move on down the line, you know. I can't help but wonder, by the way, whether after this pandemic, grounding will be removed completely as a punishment. <laughs> you know, like, who the hell wants the child so. back in the house? Yeah, it's a, absolutely. Um, are yeah. we all right? Well, listen. This is this is the uh, time as we near the end of the interview for the lightning round. Uh, I I hope you are prepared. Um, here we go. And in your case, you're going to have to think back a little ways for some of these questions. Cool. What was the first solid food your children ate? Dog poo. Oh, if only that were true. <laughs> now the truthful answer. We're hoping, we're hoping for, you know, look, this is a, we're doing this globally, right? So we keep yeah. expecting to get, you know, international cuisine. And in the end, it always ends up being like dog Captain food. Crunch it or dog food. First solid food. Butternut. I don't it's even know what that is. Squash. Go on. What is that? It's a South African squash. Oh, it's like a, it's like a pumpkin. Oh, okay. It's like a pumpkin. No, see, that's pumpkin. a first. That's good. I like it. All right. What is the most frequent dinner that you guys have when you get together, the whole family? Oh, my, oh my God. I've got this lasagna. It's always you lasagna. Make, do you make it? Yeah, from scratch. Yeah, because, you know, Ooh. they cook. Oh, they because also they cook. cook. They're one of those people. Ugh, all right, fine. <laughs> uh, yeah. We have the television episodes to prove it. Yes. Is there any uh, culturally interesting family cold or flu remedy? Oh, uh, I, I wouldn't say a, a remedy as such, but there is a medicine um, that, you can, that you can get in South Africa that's an effervescent. It's called Carenza C, and it fixes 
everything. If you are hungover, if you have a cold, if you're feeling like you have the flu, Carenza C <laughs> is all you need to make you feel better. Send it over. It's also Alex wants it's to also pure aspirin. You're not allowed to get it in America or in Canada mm. or in the or in mm. many uh, other countries. It's pure aspirin. It's amazing. All right. I was going to say Daddy Squared brought to you by Carenza C, <laughs> but not. <laughs> uh, not available to the retailer near you. First thing to do after the pandemic lockdown is really over. Travel. I want to go travel. I want to go all over the world. I want to come visit you. I want to go to Greece. I want to go to Hawaii. I want to go anywhere and everywhere. I just want to travel. Yeah, it's really hard to decide between Mykonos and Los Angeles. Why? Uh, Los Angeles is a nice place. Oh, please. You're always welcome here. Yes, you are totally We have a nice welcome. guest house. And your last lightning round question is probably the most important one. Yes. Please educate us about the ultimate gay icon from your country's present or history. Gay icon. Ooh, gay icon from South Africa. Andrew, I think this is up your alley because at some point in your life, you were in theater and you were wearing fishnet stockings. <laughs> so ironically, I've got one and I need to give you this in context as well. So, so I need to go back. Go back to the early 80s and the 90s in conservative South Africa. And I've explained to you that I pretty much ditched being gay to try and live a, a, a heterosexual life because I didn't believe that that sort of, I, you know, there was a place for gay in South Africa. Having said that, there was an ultimate iconic South African actor, well, he's still around, who built a career out of a drag persona. And for some reason, every single conservative middle-class Afrikaans farmer, you know, uh, driving his tractor, uh, just fell and aligned with his character. And the actor is a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant actor in South African history. His name is Peter Dirk Ace. And his female alter ego is called Evita Besaidenot. Now, that is, that's a, uh, that is a cut and paste of any colloquial, uh, you know, uh, pick a middle-class American redneck name it would be and that's exactly what it would be but he somehow managed to get into under the skin of of what really a drag persona in a very conservative country could say and get away with this he's is still around he's, he's still acting he's still a genius and uh, he is literally still performing with this uh, uh, i suppose the international equivalent would be barry humphreys and dame edna dame he's edna right the, right yeah yeah he, isn't that he a fascinating no thing? To exist in South Africa, and he did, and still does. It's 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 beautiful in its simplicity, and he's he's legendary in pretty much all of South Africa. Excellent. We will include links to YouTube. Yes. Um, cool. Guys, thank you, thank so, you so much, much for, for taking the time to talk to us. This was great. Yes. I hope. It's thank been, you. This has been amazing. And you know, when you a little bit enlightening, you know, we're not. I, I, I don't know if there is such a thing as a as a nuclear gay family, but you know we're we're really privileged to have had a very different take on it, and and I, I hope our story uh, sheds some light on a slightly different angle on on gay parenting and how you know it 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 literally has changed our lives and and the lives of our entire family for the better. And um and when you come to LA during your travel, uh, Brent owes us uh, lasagna. Also, Just, uh, also. Yes, also, I would love that. I would love that. And I'm gonna take I'm gonna take you up on on that offer. One of my closest, closest friends uh, has actually just 
moved to LA in December last year, her and her partner, uh, and they are about to have a little baby and um, we have to come and visit them. So I'm going to take you up on that offer and we're going to come and visit you as well. Yes, wonderful. lasagna. And don't forget the fishnets. <laughs> All right, Bye, guys. Good. Take care. Thank you. Bye, guys. We're back from the interview with Andrew and Brent from South Africa. I'm Alex. I'm Jan. And, and this is Daddy Squared. Yes. Uh, the story that they tell of the development of gay rights and gay dad rights in South Africa is really interesting to me. And one of the things that it leaves me with is this question. Uh, South Africa went through, obviously, an incredibly painful, uh, terrible uh, period of apartheid. And then there was a revolution of sorts of all kinds to grant rights to people. And this was uh, primarily racial, right? But what's so interesting to me is I think when a country goes through that much change, there is an opportunity to open the book and say, well, wait, in what ways have we been keeping people down? And maybe that is an incredibly exciting opportunity to say, maybe it's not just about the fact that blacks have been kept in apartheid, but maybe it's also a time when we can open the doors to women and gays and any number of other people who are on the list of the usually oppressed. I don't know if it naturally works that way, but it does seem as if South Africa took advantage of that change. And it's very exciting. Mm -hmm. um, let's uh, summarize things up and, uh, and look at uh, options for gay dads in South Africa. So we have co-parenting. This is kind of similar to any other part of the world. Yeah. Um, we heard Brent and Andrew's story with the mother of their kids. And it's kind of, you know, similar. And I think that what we talked about in previous episodes in regard to co-parenting, it's, uh, it's also uh, here. Uh, also, applicable. I would... Oh, sure. I, and I'd also point out that when we're talking to people about co-parenting, uh, it's the Gay Dads podcast. So we're talking about it within that context. But I, I think if you take a step further back, co-parenting is kind of really, really common, Right? Yeah. How many divorce. people do we know? Not just divorce, but how many people do we know who have an uncle who felt as if he was a father during their entire upbringing? It happens yeah. all the time. Mm. Yeah. Um, adoption. So uh, gay couples can adopt since 2012. Uh, South Africa is the only country in Africa that allows LGBT adoption. And there's no change right now from any other adoption process for straight people. So. You have to, to go through orientation and complete an application and uh, personal profile um, to apply for police clearance, undergo psychological testing, interviews with social workers, all of that. And we have all the process on daddysqr.com slash South Africa if you want to go through this to make sure uh, you know all the steps. What is important to know is to know what you want because... I think that every adoption agency in South Africa has different rules and they they will kind of try to convince you to go with them and even if it's not really what what it is that you want in terms of what kind of 
kid do you want, uh, ages, etc. And it's also, I just wanted to point out that don't be discouraged if agencies turn you away. Some agencies have, like, we don't let people adopt above a certain age. Mm. Um, but it's not it consistent. It's not a, a South African law. So just check other, other agencies. Um, with surrogacy, so surrogacy is legal. It's very high protective of surrogates. Uh, they're, you're not allowed to pay them, even though we heard otherwise from Andrew and Brent. Um, you're not formally allowed, allowed to yeah. give them a kind of profit from the process. Yes. But I think as we will find in subsequent episodes when we talk about this uh, more deeply, people find a way because as much as, as women are doing this very often in order to help people, uh, you know, it's a pretty massive yeah. undertaking. In the law, it's, it's required to have an agreement before you go through the surrogacy and a judge confirms that. Yeah. So the court confirms that your agreement and some court did not approve. For example, you can see on daddysqi.com slash South Africa, a story about a gay couple who did not get approval. You know why? Why? Because they were in the closet and they didn't live together. They were a couple oh. for 10 years and they want to go through surrogacy and the court says no. Well, that's and actually a little bit progressive on the on the part of the court, yes. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So um, so you have to, to get approved. Um, also, we heard from uh, Andrew and Brent that most of the cases, and I think it's, from what I read, it's true too, that there's some sort of a personal relationship with a surrogate before she becomes a surrogate that's the common thing so it's mm. she's a friend or a distant family member or whatever um another thing that is also in the law in south africa is that surrogate have to be ha, have to have been already pregnant is that a you mean they have to have one of their own children, children already yeah well you know that and that seems to be pretty common with agencies in the united states as well that yes. certainly was the case with us yeah. right yeah and I think we're good to go to the corner, Alex. To your corner. Go to the corner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so let's go let's go and talk to Ron Dayan, who is the executive director of Men Having Babies, a wonderful organization that helps men around the world who are trying to have children through surrogacy. He's going to talk to us a little bit about the pitfalls of working through the surrogacy process in another country and how you can avoid being guided into doing things that may or may not really fit within the law um, and the potential dangers that are associated. This is MHB Corner. Oftentimes, people are surprised to find out that there are quite a few countries that allow surrogacy under some circumstances that they might not have heard about or they have questions regarding surrogacy beyond the United States and Canada where uh, we think are the destinations where safe and ethical surrogacy is available for gay men. One of them is South Africa. And there was a time even that uh, some intermediaries were sending people from abroad to go to have a child through surrogacy in South Africa, thinking that they can just somehow get over the fact that you have to be a resident of that country. And otherwise, you might not even be able to have your child back, let alone the fact that some people ended up in jail during this episode. Uh, given that there are other countries where there is a lot of uncertainty and uh, lack of understanding whether they're suitable for people from abroad, at Men Heavy Babies, we created a guideline for safe and ethical surrogacy abroad, uh, where we talk about not just the ethics of it, but just 
really legal and practical tips, basically a checklist of things you need to check uh, and ask and who you can ask before you can decide whether a certain too-good-to-be-true destination is actually a place where you can have a child safely as gay people. One of the most obvious tips is if people are asking you to do things that on the face of them look shady or illegal, that's a big warning sign. If they tell you that they can easily arrange for you to be married to your surrogate just because there's a little requirement of uh, the surrogates uh, uh, or the IPs being married, you should run. Uh, if they tell you that they can make you a resident of a particular country or make you seem like this or that, those are all shady practices that should be a big, big red flag. org. You know, when we uh, did surrogacy in the United States, I will say one of the things that really impressed me was that the agencies and the doctors that we worked with were, I got no sense of anything but legit. You know, like you, you go to buy a house, you go to do various big deal things and people come up with clever tricks. And I don't know how you felt about it, but I felt as if at every stage they were so clear about what the law was, what the processes were, yeah. you know, and I didn't feel like anything was left in a gray area. And I'm very thankful for that. Yeah. Uh, men having babies, check their website out. There are two major things that happening right now with them. One is the conference that if you guys want to know more about surrogacy, not necessarily if, the, if you live in the U.S., um, it's for all over the world. So just check it out. It's coming up uh, very soon. And another thing is that uh, they started now a network for gay dads. So that's really cool. If you want to consult with somebody uh, in your area or just want to make new friends, uh, I think both of them are kind of fit this uh, criteria. So just log on to manhavingbabies.com and look, at, look for the network. Daddy. That's it, Alex. Um, I think it's time for, for us to tell everybody. We're hopping on the jet again. <laughs> yes. You know, finally. Half after an hour ago, it was to South Africa, and now it's to Palm Springs. <laughs> finally, we uh, took all the advice that people always say to us, you have to get away. You have to get away. What do you mean? It's the advice we've been giving, too. <laughs> we just haven't been taking it ourselves. It's our first weekend off without the kids. Oh. Um, since uh, the pandemic started. We're going to Palm Springs. We're leaving our wonderful children with our even more wonderful uh, former nanny who hasn't seen them for a while. And it's and, uh, Mother's Day this week, so... Right. As far as I'm concerned, she's the mother. She was, she, the first three years of their lives, she was absolutely incredible, wasn't she? Yes. Yeah. So um, I'm going to collect your pee while yes, on vacation. for the bricks. To, yeah, to build yes. a house, to build a new place. <laughs> And we're going to send some photos <laughs> when we're away. So <laughs> check that disgusting. out. <laughs> disgusting. Everything we talked about, including the P, is right now at daddysqr.com slash South Africa. And, and a reminder, we really love to hear from you. We love to hear uh, write to us. criticisms, praise, joy, uh, P-based. No, don't send us no, P. Yeah, no, no. Uh, please write to us at hello at daddysqr.com. And don't forget to rate the podcast on any of your podcast systems. Uh, it really helps other people find us. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye.
DaddySQR.com. We're going to South Africa. <laughs> Fart. Poop in the butt. Chick poopy in the butt. Poop. <laughs>